0: Hi there, today's show is brought to you by Hoopsters. If you want to connect with your kids or your friends, put your phone down and play Hoopsters, the greatest basketball-themed board game ever made. A game of Hoopsters is quick-paced and packed with all the thrills of basketball and the strategy of backgammon. Head to Hoopsters.store to learn more. Good times. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Pete Brown Says. And just a reminder to check out my other podcast, This Is Ohio 2020, where I interview swing state voters from around the Buckeye State in the year leading up to the 2020 election. New episodes dropping in January. Check it out at thisisohio2020.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a one off episode of Pete Brown Says, my creative nonfiction storytelling podcast. This episode is not the kickoff to a new season of Pete Brown Says, but it's just more of a bonus extra episode that I'm publishing because of something that happened last week that I'm going to tell you about in just a bit. I'm prepping this episode between Christmas and New Year's, so if you've just celebrated any holidays, I hope they were great. And just a reminder that you can follow me on Twitter. Facebook, and Medium at Pete says, and dive into past shows at PeteBrontSays.com. Finally, if you're anywhere near Central Ohio on February 6th, 2020, I'll be telling a story at the Nest Theater down on Broad Street as part of their monthly storytelling show. I'm still not sure what story I'm going to tell, but the theme is Open Hearts. The last time I told a story there it was a very sad story, and so I'm hoping to come up with something a little less bleak. So here's something about me that can be annoying. Sometimes I have to think about things for years before I take any action. Seriously, even though making documentary films is now a big part of my life, I spent a good 10 years thinking about going back to school to brush up my video production and post-production skills before I finally did it. Making a podcast, too, is something that I mulled over for at least five years, even though I now actively produce four podcasts and am contemplating adding a fifth. And while I always knew that I wanted to produce a creative nonfiction podcast like Pete Brown says, I got stuck at the start, so to speak, when I sat down about seven years ago to start writing. And that's because the very first essay I wrote for this show is one based on some pretty fuzzy memories. And if you listen to this show, you know that it's the specific details of any story I share that I pride myself on, the tiny specifics that my brain tends to lock onto when it's saving a story in my memory. But this very first essay, which I've never shared until this episode, it's about something that happened to me that my memory seems to have worked hard to obscure. It's really just a few small details that stick out, with whatever surrounding narrative there was left pretty vague. In fact, until this thing happened last week, part of me was doubting that the story I tell ever happened at all. It's a short piece that I'm sharing today, the original essay in its entirety, and then I've added some follow-up material about what went down last week that prompted me to push out this one-off episode over my holiday break. But even though it's short, it warrants mention that it has been written only to the best of my memory, which, like everyone else's memory, is subject to decay. Let's get to it. This is a bonus between the seasons episode, entitled, A Knit Cap with a Ball on Top. I've been searching for something on eBay for the past several years. I can describe this item to you in great detail, but I'm afraid I can't say exactly why I'm after it. This story begins with the Cleveland Barons, the very short-lived National Hockey League team in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. The Barons are off tonight after losing to Buffalo six to two at the Coliseum last night in front of their second-largest crowd to date, nearly 12,000. Rick Hampton. The Barons were the an active NHL team from 1976 until 1978, just when I was starting grade school. I cannot tell you that I was aware of them as a thing in town, and it's possible that I would not have registered their brief existence at all if not for one evening in 1978, when my dad stepped inexplicably out of character and returned home from his downtown job with a bag full of Cleveland Barons merchandise. The team's folding, he explained, which I put together to mean going out of business. They were closing out their souvenir supply. So at lunchtime, he walked over to the team shop to pick up some items at a steep bargain. And, he said, the news was there. WKYC TV, Cleveland. The news. Local news was such a big deal in 1978. Back in the last few years before the rise of cable TV. Back when we had three main stations in Cleveland. Three, five, and eight. And whichever you chose to watch said a good deal about you or your family. So at 6 o'clock that evening, we all gathered around the television to watch WKYC Channel 3. And sure enough, about halfway through the broadcast was a story about the Barons ceasing operations and clearing out the team shop. And there, in a wide shot of the souvenir store, was my dad, standing in line in his gray suit, holding in his hands the very merch that he had brought home. I was just seven years old, and seeing my dad as a person in the world in this way was simply incredible. It was as if there was a different person entirely there on the television, different than the one who usually came home many evenings with a headache and got angry if there were cartoons playing on TV. Here's what he gave me. A Cleveland Barons 1977-78 teen picture, which I put on my wall, and a knit winter cap with a Barons patch on it. It was red with a black rim and a black and red puffy ball on top. For himself, he had chosen an all-red winter knit cap with the word Barons across it and a white ball on top. I want to say that once he presented both caps, he declared us hat buddies for the winter season. But I'm afraid that he, a World War II vet with a short fuse and tattoos from a variety of South Pacific islands, he was simply not a hat buddy kind of guy. Which is a shame when you think about it. Because seven years old was probably the last year I'd really be into having a hat buddy for the winter, especially if it was my own pop. Here is where I try to explain to you why I've been searching for my hat on eBay for years to no avail. It's because something bad happened to me when I was wearing it. I know this is true, because I've had flashes of memory around it for my entire life. Small bits and dreams that wake me up. But I only have these fragments, and not a full story, and that in and of itself fascinates me, because my normally very good memory seems to have worked extra hard to cloud this one up. As if it decided, somewhere along the way, just to embrace denial and move on. I am seven or I am six, and I'm on the school bus, which is where these kinds of things tend to occur in the 1970s. I was the second-to-last stop on the bus route, so I had over an hour ride each afternoon. It was interminable to my seven-year-old self. Here's what I remember. Bus 11. A green vinyl bus seat, located toward the back of the bus, of course. Me, trying to bring my arms up in defense, but being hampered by my thick winter coat and backpack. I remember that sound winter coat material makes when it brushes against itself quickly. A wispy, panicky sound. And I remember the world turning red as my cap, my Cleveland Barons knit cap, is pulled down over my head and pulled tight from behind. Through the red knit fabric pulled fast against my eyes, I see for the first time how fair the world will be. I smell that combination of wool and saliva and mucus that is winter in Cleveland. Then the feeling of being pulled to the ground by my cap, my face being forced down hard against the black rubber floor of the bus. The cap soaks up the brown-gray mud puddles that taste of salt and dirt, cold and wet against my cheek. I don't know how I got into or out of the situation, and I can't clearly remember who it was that put me in it. As was customary for bullying at the time, I mentioned this to no one in my family who may have taken truck with it on my behalf. No parents or sisters or hat buddies to step in and have my back. Instead, I just pulled the cap off my face. I rubbed my hands through my hair and sniffed that loud sniff that you do when you're recovering yourself and trying hard not to cry, trying to assemble on the fly the self that you want the world to see. I am 7 years old or I am 6 and I am split in two When it's dark and when it's cold you will always have my hand to hold I will be So over the years I've looked for that cap on eBay in my parents house all around on the surface of it i think i want to wear the cap with my head held high such that no matter what went down when i wore the original i can assert that version 2.0 of me is a much stronger sharper presence but on a deeper level i realize that i really don't know what i'm hoping it will provide for me fill in some gaps in my memory i suppose this world can bring or help them go away I will be- This year, I finally got a hit in my search for terms Cleveland Barons knit cap. But when I opened the page, I saw that it was for my dad's cap. Red, with the word "Barons" written across it, a white ball on top. Just like the one he wore when we shoveled the driveway. I bought it anyway, thinking perhaps that this was the universe telling me to step up to the dad cap now and move on with my life. I have two kids of my own, after all and some days they do take the bus but sentiment is a syrupy thing unlike wool which is a fabric that tightens up over time the dad cap barely fits on my bean and when i force it on it's uncomfortably tight it is a 40 plus year old knit cap after all it's indifferent to me but not to the march of time like the barons themselves it seems to scarcely remember itself but for a few fleeting images, a cold puddle, my world turning red, and everywhere around me the smell of salt. I will be- So there you have it, a short essay about something that I'm pretty sure happened to me on the school bus built around one specific memory of having my red Cleveland Barons cap with a black rim and a ball on top pulled down hard over my face and my head forced onto the salty wet rubber floor of bus number 11. If you're a generation Xer who rode a school bus in the 1980s, this probably seems par for the course. The reason I never published this essay was because of its vague details in the surrounding narrative. Like, who did it? And why were they doing that? And did it happen? I'm pretty sure it happened. But the more times that I looked and looked and looked and did not find the hat that was in my memory on eBay, the more I started to doubt that it happened at all. And then, last week, some six years after first writing this short piece and having produced 27 episodes of my storytelling podcast— It showed up on eBay. The exact knit hat I was wearing. Black rim, red body, a Cleveland Barons patch on the brim, and a red and black pom-pom ball on top. Seeing it appear was one of those pulse-quickening moments. A confirmation, at least, of a key detail in the story. I'll post pictures of it this week at Pete Brown Says on Instagram and Twitter. And so, I hovered my cursor over the Buy It Now button for a moment. And then, I was stopped dead in my tracks. $100. A hundred bucks. That was the Buy It Now price for a knit winter cap in poor condition, bearing the logo of a now-defunct NHL hockey team that only existed in Cleveland for two seasons. A hundred bones from a seller who was aptly named Gimme Yo Money. Now, I don't know what the market is for original merchandise from defunct hockey teams, but I have to believe that a hundred bucks for a knit hat like this has to be a serious misreading of it. A quick perusal of other NHL knit caps on eBay puts most of them in the $12 to $25 range. But a hundred bucks minimum, no lower offers considered? I mean, part of me wondered for a moment if maybe I had produced this show and published this essay, and the seller, knowing the significance of the cap for me, listed it and jacked up the price. So let me just say, spending a hundred bucks on any item of sports memorabilia is a big ask for me. I'm not a collector, but the few sports things that I do own, a Tom Verizer game used bat, for example, I bought back before I started a family with my wife, and even back then, spending more than 30 bucks on something was a stretch. So even though I'd been searching for this cap, this very cap for years and years and years, there's simply no way that I could bring myself to spend a hundred bucks on it, especially in the two weeks just before Christmas. And this made me stop and think about why I wanted the hat at all, right? I mean, most people prefer not to have souvenirs of their negative experiences laying about the house, but that's another of my quirks. Quirk, being the friendly term for something that doesn't bother you unless you're married to me for 25 years. As my wife put it in a short interview that I did with her back in Season 1.
1: In the course of our marriage, I've been baffled by having to hear some of the same stories over and over, repeated in minute detail. Like, there's there's all these stories that you kind are kind of like touchstones for you, and I almost feel like you're compelled to tell them. And I often feel haunted by your adolescence and not only do I feel haunted by your adolescence I'm also haunted by every sh- thing I've ever said to you. You seem to be able to remember those things pretty well too.
0: Later on in season two we had another conversation this time about why I held on to a pair of bleached out socks that had made it through the 1998 flood that had destroyed our Central Texas home.
1: Those horrible horrible black socks that get bleached orange that you didn't let me throw out. Do you still have them? I can't even say anything about them because they are so anathema to me. I hate them. That you just have to relentlessly bind yourself to tragedy. It's like Alvy Singer. Like the universe is expanding kind of shit. And I can't take it.
0: Is this not how you thought the interview would go? Did you think, okay. But the thing is, these negative stories are the ones I tend to remember the best and in the most detail. The tough ones. The hard knocks. Way back in episode zero of this show, the setup episode, I'd ask some of my friends to share their experiences of my memory, and my buddy Brian was spot on. One thing I will say about Pete's memory is that it's not always the best memories. You know, usually people will remember fond memories, or things that they want to remember, and Pete's are usually, and oftentimes, the opposite. They're kind of goofy or sad memories that uh, people maybe want to forget. So, uh, if Pete's ever at a party and he brings up that stuff, sometimes uh, people want to kick his I'm recognizing now that this tendency to hold on to the negative is a troubling trend. And if I knew how to set these things down, so I wouldn't carry them around for the rest of my life, surely I would do it. In some ways, making this podcast has helped me to do that. Not that I'm eliminating these memories from my mind, but I am deflating them a bit, removing some of the psychic weight from them. So, why did I spend much of the past two weeks thinking hard about dropping a hundy on an old knit cap that marks a terrible experience from my childhood? What exactly is it that I'm trying to buy? It's not nostalgia, because nostalgia, the word, tends to be associated with happy memories that we long for in a sentimental way. Nostalgia is why I and most of my Gen X friends started buying up vinyl records a few years ago, reigniting an almost dead industry by our willingness to cough up a few bucks for that feeling of taking a record out of its sleeve, dropping the needle, and then flipping the cover over and digging into the liner notes as the first scratchy notes crawl to life out of the speaker. maybe i thought i wanted the hat simply for proof to have a physical object that would remind me that this fuzzy thing in my memory did in fact happen in some way or another i'll admit part of me even wanted to buy the cap and then pull it down over my face super hard and see if that action would bring any of the lost details back to life but i think in the end my main reason for wanting the cap was just so that I could keep it next to the Baron's cap I already own, the one my dad wore after his trip to the team shop back in 1978, which I found on eBay for maybe 15 bucks a few years ago. That way, I could let the two of them be hat buddies for all time, sitting in the dark of my closet inside a box that I keep on the shelf above my suits and winter coats. So I never bought the hat. I don't know if someone did. The listing now says the item is no longer available. I don't know if that means it's sold or if the seller simply took it down after people hesitated at the triple-digit price tag. If someone out there did buy it and happens to listen to this podcast, please get in touch. I'd love to hear whatever story you have about this same cap. And the truth is, I think I'll keep looking for this hat on eBay and elsewhere because I still feel compelled to do it even if I don't know how likely it is that I'd ever actually pull the trigger on a deal to buy one. Because the truth of the matter, which I know intellectually, if not emotionally, is that hanging on to negative memories is a bit of a fool's game. It takes a lot of effort, and the payback is minimal, if at all. At best, you're investing in disappointment, and at worst, something truly bleak. Easier said than done, but you're much better off channeling that energy into doing what you need to do to let go, and to be okay with letting go. And, if you figure out how to do that, please, drop me a line and let me know. Until then, I hope each auction ends on your trials and tribulations with zero bids, that the memory of each tragedy remains unsold. You may hover your cursor over the Buy It Now button, and feel compelled to click, but try taking a long and thoughtful breath, and then just don't. Pete Brown says is a work of creative nonfiction audio, written and produced by me. Pete Brown, and is the property of Blue Monkey Communications. This show is written to the best of my memory. At times, names, timelines, and events have been changed, though I will try to let you know when that is happening. You can learn more about the basketball-themed board game Hoopsters at hoopsters.store. You can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Pete Brown says, and submit a story of your own or sign up for the newsletter at PeteBrownSays.com. There's also a link there to buy me a cup of coffee if you want to help cover production expenses. If you like the show, please tell a friend about it. I'm growing an audience one listener at a time, and your help is crucial to that effort. Music and sound effects in this episode have been sourced and licensed from the websites Audionautics.com, freesound.org, and podcastmusic.com. The opening music is by Brian Hake, and some interstitials are by Kevin Davison their now-defunct band Delicious, performs the show's theme song, I'm Not Myself. We'll be back with a new episode in just a few weeks. Until then, and as always, good times, everyone. Good times.